Maigo Vonnen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm Tolkien Geek. And in this video, I recently read a, an article on the Looper website called False Facts About Lord of the Rings You Always Thought Were True. And it's one of those top 10 list type things. Uh, if you don't know what Looper is, it's kind of just a top 10 website. It does top 10 lists about all kinds of different stuff. But in this particular list, there were a lot of really good ones. Um, some of them were you know, things that I personally care a lot about too. And it's basically about, you know, things that you would get wrong if all you knew was the movies, like Faramir was internally conflicted. I've mentioned that in a previous video that Faramir was actually the good guy. You know, he was never, never going to, you know, try to take the ring from Frodo. That was never a thing. You know, there were several in the list like that, but there was one thing in the list that they kind of messed up. I think it was number five on the list. They said, Valinor is actually not that hard to get to. And that's what I want to discuss in this video. So let me kind of explain what they're even talking about, and then I'll explain why that's bogus. So if you pay really close attention to the movie, you get the idea that Valinor is where the elves go. They sail out into the west, and that's where they end up. And you don't really know a whole lot more about it. Um, in the cosmology of The Lord of the Rings and the, the greater legendarium, including Silmarillion, Valinor is where the Valar live. And the Valar are basically the kind of high angels slash demigods of the world that are, um, they kind of run things on an in an administrative sort of way almost. Uh, they're not the highest god. They're angels created by that god. But that's also where the elves, for the most part, live, you know, if they're not in Middle-earth. I mean, the, the way the history of that all shapes out, I kind of covered in my Silmarillion overview video. But just so you don't have to go watch that 38-minute long monstrosity, the basic idea is when the elves appeared in Middle-earth, some of them came to the Valinor uh, to live with the Valar. Some of them stayed, and then some of them ended up coming back. And then there was a huge war, and the ones that had come back were then allowed to come back to Valinor. It, but some of them didn't because they still liked Middle-earth. So at the point that the Lord of the Rings takes place, most of them are leaving Middle-earth because they're all, by their nature, they're kind of wired to get tired of Middle-earth because they live forever. And they're really designed to live in a a world that's not decaying the way that the that Middle-earth is. And Valinor is that, you know, is not like that. It's, it's the undying lands. So that's why they're going to Valinor. So the Looper article tries to make this point that it's actually not that hard to get to Valinor. Well, actually it is. The reason they say it's not is, uh, well, look at the examples we have. You know, we've got these different instances of people just building a boat and sailing off to the west into Valinor. And the main example they give is, oddly enough, Legolas and Gimli, which I've also talked about in a previous video. But they don't really explain why this suddenly makes it easy to get to Valinor. They don't really talk about that. I mean, a better example actually would have been Sam Gamgee, who in the appendices is also said to sail into the west, into Valinor. He would be, make a much better example than Legolas and Gimli, and I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, they're acting like the idea that it's hard to get to Valinor is just a false impression that you get when, in fact, it's not a false impression. It's actually quite hard to get to Valinor. Only the elves can really sail to Valinor for the most part, except, and that's why I said Sam is a good example, 
counterexample, but he's the only one that is in theory a counterexample to the rule that only elves can get there. And the reason that only elves can get there is because it's the Undying Lands. You're not meant to be able to sail all the way to the Undying Lands if you're not a mortal race. So, but the question is, why is it hard to get to Valinor? And this kind of goes back to another video that I did about Numenor where I explained, you know, that at one time in history, men actually did sail to Valinor, tried to take it by force, and that's why the island of Numenor was basically caused to sink into the ocean Atlantis style. So what were the actual effects of that? I never didn't really touch on exactly how that worked out and, you know, what the other real-world consequences of that were, were, so let me touch on that now. So in Tolkien's cosmology, the original shape of Middle-earth is much like what the ancient humans believed our Earth was, flat. Uh, now, of course, when I say ancient humans in our world, I'm not talking about kind of the, the false idea that we have that everybody up until Columbus thought that it was flat. That's not true. People figured out that it was a sphere much earlier than that, but there were people very, very long ago, much longer ago than Columbus, who thought it was flat. And Tolkien's cosmology starts out with an actual flat Middle Earth. You have Valinor in the west, you have Middle Earth to the east, a huge ocean in between, and maybe something to the east of what we know of as Middle Earth. We don't really know. Uh, we get hints in some of the materials about Numenor that you can sail around Middle-earth to the further east and find other stuff, but it's not really clear what's out there. So, anyway, you start out with a flat earth, and the sun and the moon actually literally do fly around it. Uh, so, the interesting thing about this is the, the way that the Valar kept the elves from returning to Valinor during the Silmarillion was essentially to kind of make, you know, make the waters to the west of Middle-earth difficult to navigate, you know, whether through their angelic power or whatever it was. Nobody managed to get through it until Arendil came with a Silmaril and managed to, to pierce through the fogs and whatever. So I'll cover that in another video if you don't know what I'm talking about. But the idea is after the end of the Silmarillion, that was no longer the case. The elves were allowed to come back, and so they didn't have this um, mystic whatever going on preventing people from navigating their way to Valinor. So then you have the island of Numenor, which is just barely within sight, if you're really far-sighted, of an island just off to the east of Valinor, which is Eresea, which is the island where most of the elves ended up going to, uh, or and some of the elves already lived, to be frank. I mean, the, the seafaring elves, the Tellery, they were much more in love with the ocean, and therefore they lived on the island as opposed to the mainland of Valinor. So Numenor was barely within sight of that island, and that island is actually where uh, Frodo and, if Sam went, and Bilbo and probably Gimli would have ended up. They would not have actually ended up in Valinor. Um, and there's letters from J.R.R. Tolkien and other things to back that up. I mean, I'm not just making that up. But uh, anyway, the idea is you have these two islands kind of out in the middle, and then you've got Valinor to the west and Middle-earth to the east. And you can freely sail 
they weren't men weren't allowed to, but they could physically get to Valinor. That changed with the downfall of Numenor because when Numenor was destroyed and sank beneath the waves, the world was literally in Tolkien's cosmology made round. What happened was Valinor was essentially cut off from the rest of Middle Earth and it was turned into a ball. That's that's actually how it happens in Tolkien's cosmology. So, and there's the, the reference after that point to the the straight road that elves have to travel to get to Valinor. So, I mean, it, it talks about all, all the ways we're bent. And what it's referring to is, you know, if you sail on a globe, you're not sailing actually a straight line. You're sailing in a circle, even though it seems like you're sailing in a straight line. So, the ways were bent in the sense that you now can't sail in a straight line. You just end up coming back ultimately to the same starting point if you if you go what we would call straight. So the only way to get to Valinor now is to sail straight, which, if you think about it, kind of implies they're going through space. Uh, in Tolkien's cosmology, if you match that to our world... So you have to have special ships to do that. Now, obviously, he's not talking about spacecraft and all that stuff. He's not writing science fiction. He's writing fantasy. It's a different—he's not actually traveling through space as we think of it. But the point is, Valinor is out there, and it's disconnected from the world, and you can't just get there by building a ship and sailing west. It actually is physically impossible to do. You have to have a special ship, and this is why only the elves can do it, by and large. Sam would be the interesting case because how does Sam build a ship that's capable of traversing the straight road that goes to Valinor as opposed to just around the Earth? You know, and that's a question that we may never be able to really answer. And yeah, I could have included in my uh, one of my earlier videos about Middle Earth mysteries. But the point is, Gimli didn't get you know to the uttermost west by. Uh, just because you can sail that way. Legolas got him there because Legolas could build the right kind of boat that could get him there. I mean, we don't know exactly what that means, and we don't need to. It's fantasy. But the point is, this article gives you the idea that getting to Valinor really is just as simple as building a boat and sailing west. It's not actually that simple because of Tolkien's cosmology, which interestingly enough, starts with a flat earth and then turns it into a ball by taking part of it out and bending the rest of it. So that's, you know, just something that was kind of bugging me about this otherwise mostly really good list that talked about something that was then way off. It's like, you, you know all this other stuff, but then you totally don't know the cosmology. You know, get it right. Not only that, but I think it's worth mentioning because it's an interesting cosmology in and of itself because... You know, Tolkien doesn't do a lot of cosmology, but he does give you these little bits and pieces that indicate, you know, how the world end up, ended up in the shape, literally the shape that it's in. And I thought that would be worth, you know, talking about in a video because it's, you know, most, most people don't know that. And so I just thought it would be interesting to share that in light of that article, which I will link to below. There's probably also a video. Looper usually does videos. You could probably find it in video format. If you can, I will also link to the video if you'd rather watch that rather than click through the different pages to read it. But anyway, the uh, that's the video for today. Hope you learned something interesting about Tolkien's imaginary world. And uh, now let's wrap up. So yeah, Tolkien has a cosmology. He's got a really interesting one.
So hope you enjoyed kind of figuring out how Tolkien's world became round and some of the other interesting things. One of these days I'll probably go into why the sun and the moon were actually literally traveling around the earth and that sort of thing. If you're interested or if you'd like to learn other things about Tolkien, the worlds he created, and even some of the non-Lord of the Rings related material that he wrote, stick around, subscribe to the channel, uh, like and share this video for people who might be interested. Uh, if you don't want to subscribe on YouTube, you can follow on Twitter at JRRTLore. And until next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore channel. Namariye.